Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets. This month, we are joined by Sean Stockard, President and CEO of the Economic Development Alliance for Brazoria County, Texas. Among many things, Sean shares how he believes we are approaching job creation in the wrong way and how we can improve upon it. Here are Sean's Economic Development Secrets. Hello, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm originally from the Northwest. I was uh, born and raised uh, in the Northwest and grew up in southeastern Washington State. And uh, uh, the community that I grew up in um, was uh, home and still is home to the uh, Hanford site, which is a U.S. Department of Energy site. Uh, most of the time uh, I was growing up there, it was a production fac uh, facility. The uh, uh, the site uh, processed uh, the uh, plutonium that went into the Hiroshima uh, uh, bomb for World War II. And then in the late 80s, um, it went from a production site to a cleanup site. And at one point, anyway, it was the world's largest uh, uh, cleanup uh, 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 Superfund site. And which really is uh, what, uh, ironically enough, uh, because of that switch from a production site to a cleanup site, is really in a roundabout way how I got involved in economic development back in the early 90s. I was uh, going to uh, uh, college at Washington State University. And uh, in, in the summer of 1993, my junior year, I got an internship with Westinghouse. And Westinghouse was the prime contractor at the Department of Energy site there in southeastern Washington. And the first project that I worked on for Westinghouse was a workforce transition project, which is uh, really why workforce development and uh, workforce transition has always been something that has been near and dear to my heart because I watched my community uh, in the Tri-Cities, Washington, over the, over the course of many years, uh, I watched unemployment uh, go up and down in massive swings. Uh, they would have massive layoffs uh, to the tune of thousands of people uh, and then gradually ramp back up over a period of several years and then turn around and, 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 and lay off again. And you know, a lot of it had to do with budgetary cycles from the U.S. Department of Energy and the federal government. But in the uh, early to mid-90s, uh, when that major shift was made uh, to turn it into a cleanup uh, Superfund site, uh, the site basically over a period of four or five years was going to go from an, a peak employment at that time uh, of about 21,000 people down to around 12 or so thousand people. Uh, back, in the, uh, back in the 40s and 50s when it was being built, peak employment at there was around 45 or 50,000 people. But peak employment in the 90s was, was uh, in the uh, lower 20s, uh, so it was about 21,000 people. 
And so the first economic development project that I worked on as an intern, <clears throat> actually, was uh, w what was called the Hanford Summits. Uh, we did two. We did one the first summer that I worked for uh, for Westinghouse, and then we turned around and we did the Hanford Summit two, the second year, uh, the second summer that I worked there at Westinghouse. And uh, the the goal of those summits was to try to figure out how we were going to help uh, southeastern Washington State, uh, which was two counties and uh, three major cities and multiple, multiple smaller communities that were largely dependent uh, upon the Hanford site and the U.S. Department of Energy and spin-off engineering firms and research and development companies had a national, still does have a national laboratory there. Uh, how we were going to uh, uh, absorb uh, the the loss of you know eight to ten thousand employees over a you know four to five year period. So out of that, out of those two uh, summits, out of those two Hanford summits, uh, the U.S. Department of Energy uh, came up with a program uh, that was basically modeled after the BRAC uh, base closure facility uh, pro uh, project uh, for military bases. And the U.S. Department of Energy uh, established uh, a community uh, reinvestment and development fund that was housed under uh, uh, an office in DOE called the uh, Office of Worker and Community Transition. And each DOE uh, community, and at the time I think there were 13 uh, of those communities across the United States, uh, uh, we're going to be given the chance to compete for economic development dollars uh, to uh, use in their communities as they best saw fit to help transition away from uh, the federal uh, uh, from the federal dollar. Well, so this this the. the the, the Hanford summits uh, came and went. Uh, I graduated from Washington State University in 1995, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, you know, as a career for my life. And and my, at the time, my goal had been to become a uh, uh, an English professor. I wanted to uh, go on and and get my master's and eventually a, a doctorate in uh, English literature. And I I wanted to teach at Washington State University. Well, because of the 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 uh, the Hanford summits and the work that had been done, um, the lead economic development organization in southeastern Washington, and it's still there. It's in its fiftieth uh, or sixtieth year now, if I'm not mistaken. We celebrated its fortieth anniversary while I was there back in the uh, early two thousands, and I've been gone for several years, so it's fifty five or so years old now. Um, they became the organization uh, for our region that was going to compete for uh, the economic development grants from the Department of Energy. And I got a phone call from uh, a former, from my former manager at Westinghouse who had went to work for the economic development organization and said, hey, you know, you helped us put this program together while you were at Westinghouse. We've got a two-year grant program. Uh, uh, worth about eleven million dollars. Would you like to come over and help me administer these uh, 
community grants. We're going to, you know, fund this money out through 25 or 30 different community organizations and, and try to start spurring some economic growth. It's a two-year program, uh, and then you can go on and, you know, do whatever you, you know, whatever you decide you want to do with your life. And I thought, you know, it's not a bad idea. I've been going to school for my whole life, a two-year break, a chance to make a little bit of money to help pay for uh, graduate school. And uh, I can still live at home there in southeastern Washington, and it, and it sounded like a good opportunity. Well, through a variety of circumstances, uh, I've been doing this now for 20, 25 years. <laughs> so uh, that, that two-year gig uh, turned into a 25-year career. And uh, the, the main focus or, or, or my, my passion for, for economic development really started with that uh, with that job creation uh, aspect of economic development, and as we, you know, as I look at, fast forward, you know, today uh, to the to the world that we live in, and the even down to the political climate that we live in, we're we have we have such an opportunity in this country, I think, to put so many different people back to work. Um, but I think we're going about it the wrong way. In what ways are we approaching job creations in the wrong way? We've got politicians that talk about bringing back manufacturing uh, jobs. We have politicians that talk about bringing back uh, uh, jobs and industries uh, that that really no longer fit in the 25th or in the, excuse me, in the 21st century. And it, it's frustrating to me knowing that, you know, there's, you know, three and a half million available vocational jobs out there that people could be very easily uh, today trained for and go to work and make a very, very good living. Yet we seem to be focused on bringing back trying to bring back manufacturing jobs or technologies that, you know, have gone the way of the dodo, in my opinion. How do economic developers create more awareness about vocational trades? I think that the, the you know, the, the starting point for me and one of the things that I try to push in, in every community that I've worked in is that relationship with the community college uh, colleges located in, in either the community that I work in or at least the region that I work in and the high schools. Um, you know, even when I was in, in school, there's always been a stigma, it seemed, uh, associated with the vocational trades, uh, shop, uh, welding, uh, woodcraft, uh, you know, drafting, plumbing, uh, those those kind of classes are where the, if you will, the the troubled students were sent because they didn't have a a four year uh, university uh, uh, in their future, and that's such a mistake. It, it, it's such an oversight and a disservice uh, to families and to uh, to potential uh, future workforce in this in this country that that is a shame. Uh, I live in a community and work in a community right now where we have a huge shortage of welders, of, of drafters. Uh, in, in the state of Texas, the average age of a plumber is, is 59 or 60 years old. 
And these are all vocational programs that if the if 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 our community colleges and our uh, independent school districts started working even closer together than they already do to start introducing these trades to students when they're in junior high, taking them on field trips to uh, to um, uh, uh, industries where uh, and show them what uh, uh, what a welder does or what a drafter does or what a carpenter can do or what a plumber can do and 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 talk about the wage potentials that these jobs offer. Um, you know, I think it shifts the dynamic uh, and, and puts a whole new generation of, of, of kids. Uh, it gives them a, a, a better shot at a future that they may not have because not all students are cut out uh, to go to college uh, for whatever reason, whether it be financial, whether it be, you know, they just aren't interested in spending four years of their lives uh, sitting in a classroom. Well, what would you say... At what stage do you think we should start introducing these trades to students? A lot of these programs, and I'll, plumbing is, I, I, I you keep using this, but plumbing is an, uh, an excellent uh, vocation that um, you, can, uh, you can start, uh, and, and there's high schools in Texas right now doing this, that they start introducing this trade uh, to students their their freshman year, and by the time they graduate uh, as a senior, they get their high school diploma and they have a plumbing license. They can go to work for any plumber plumbing outfit in the state of Texas, and and start working their way up to become a journeyman plumber. They're mm-hmm. licensed. They can start going right out on the uh, right out on the job and and earning a living. Uh, that they otherwise may not have had a chance to do because a four-year college university wasn't in their future. So I think we need to, from a from a job uh, perspective and a job standpoint, I really think that's where the future lies, is pushing the vocational trades and educating not only the students, but the students' parents, letting them know that there are other opportunities and other options for their children to go out and have good Way, uh, family wage paying jobs where they can afford, they'll be able to afford to buy a home. They may even be able to start their own business with this crap. They'll be able to take their family on vacation. They'll be able to afford health care. They'll be able to, you know, to you know, sound corny, they'll be able to live the American dream rather than trying to, um, you know, uh, base their hopes and dreams on technologies and, and industries that, again, don't necessarily have a, a place uh, in in today's marketplace. We can try to bring back all the manufacturing jobs we want, but we all know that innovation and technology is going to take the place of most of the human workers. So rather than worrying about, you know, oh, do we have an employee to turn that widget, we need to make sure that we've got an employee trained on how to work on the robot that is going to turn the widget type of thing. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, Sean, can you tell us a little bit about your current community, um, Brazoria County, and what you do to help with workforce development and in promoting vocational trades? Absolutely. Uh, we're doing, as a matter of fact, right now, we've partnered with, a, with an organization um, 
uh, MZ, uh, EMSI, we've partnered with MZ uh, to, um, to do a, uh, an actual Brazoria County workforce development study. Uh, it's something that, uh, I, to my knowledge, has never been done here in Brazoria on a countywide basis. Uh, the community colleges have done them in the past, and some of them are working on them right now, just in their you know, in their in their uh, uh, service area. We're doing one countywide that will take a look at not only what our current um, skill set is uh, for the current jobs that we have, but what we should be looking for and what we should start training our students that are in junior high and high school for for the jobs that are going to be uh, in existence uh, not only this year and next year but five and ten years down the road what types of roles what types of industries what types of skill sets are going to be needed for, for for the graduating class of of, of 2025 uh, 2027 those those sorts of things that's really neat and good to hear. I'm glad that you're preparing for the future and what a great resource to offer your future workforce. It is. And, you know, in my estimation, communities that have access to community colleges are absolutely the, the luckiest communities on the face of, of the earth. Having research universities in your backyard, having four-year universities in your backyard, are are it absolutely important, and their 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 value is immeasurable. But when you have a community college in your backyard, they're able to tailor workforce development programs. They're able to do just about anything that a, a current or a new employer needs to train their employees to do whatever special niche work that that industry does. The community college can partner with that company. They can even go as far as is setting up individual training courses and work on site. Uh, and in, 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 in the state of Texas, uh, we've got a program that will actually help actually pay the a portion of that employee's wages uh, for the employer while that individual is being trained to work on whatever new piece of machinery or whatever new skill set that that, uh, that employee is needing to learn. So those are the types of programs that, uh, from a from a national standpoint, that if 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 uh, from a Jobs Act, if the federal government wants to get in and start help, start helping putting people back to work, in my estimation, those are the types of things that we need to focus more on. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Well, that's great advice for also just any economic developer to learn to go into more. And I think workforce development is something that's very easily forgotten. Yeah, it is. You know, and you look at communities that that uh, that you know you, that you go into them and they have you know low unemployment rates. You know, and and we know here in in Brazoria, where I'm at right now, Brazoria County, we do have a low unemployment rate. Uh, but the, the the fact of the matter is, is that we've also got a new generation every year of potential workforce that are graduating that with the right training with internship programs and with the right training that can start as young as as their junior high years or even as, as freshmen in high school, by the time they graduate, 
they'll have a job out waiting for them at one of the uh, uh, one of the one of our many petrochemical plants out here, such as the Dow Chemical Company or BASF or Chevron or Phillips 66 or Shell or CP Chem or any of the number of other uh, 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 plants, uh, in, industrial plants out here that pay very very good uh, good wages. Wow, that's so impressive. That's really great. Well, then switching gears a little bit, can you tell us how it is different doing economic development on the county level compared to your experience of doing economic development at the city level? Yeah, uh, you have a lot more balls to juggle. That's for sure. Um, you know, when um, <clears throat> when I started back in the early 90s, I worked for, I was in, as I said, in Washington State. And the organization there was not unlike where I'm at now. Uh, we had multiple cities, um, uh, two counties, uh, f uh, three or four port districts, and um, uh, several different municipalities that we needed to work with. And each one of them had their own special niches, their own special needs, their own special um, uh, unique types of industries that they wanted recruited, their own types of retail that they wanted help with. Uh, and, and then I went from that uh, to moving to Texas in 1995 and spent my first 10, 11 years working for individual communities. And in, in some instances, while, while that is a little bit, on one hand, it can be a little bit easier because you're you're only focused on one particular community. The problem that I have found that that ra uh, can raise is that because you're only working with one individual community, you're also limited to whatever that one particular community set of resources may have. So now that I'm back into an environment where I'm working for an entire county that has 24 different communities in it and has a port district in it and, you know, acres and acres and acres, hundreds of acres of, of developable land between the north and the south, uh, our, 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 our uh, county goes from, uh, uh, we border Harris County, which is Houston, to the north, and we go all the way south to the Gulf of Mexico. So what that means is that that opens up the door to uh, being able to entertain all different types of industries to where if one community in Brazoria County isn't a fit, there's a possibility that another one will. So it opens up the chance to be a lot more successful uh, when you have more, you know, more tools in your in your toolbox, so to speak, to be able to offer a particular client, rather than just having one community that that you're focused on. And if that community doesn't work, well, then you know the the, the company's going to have to move on somewhere else. And then, Sean, I have a few wrap up questions. Um, the first one is, what is your biggest economic development secret to success for other economic developers out there listening? Yeah, you know, I I don't think it's a secret. Um, I think everybody recognizes this, but and and it's, you've probably this has probably been said a dozen times on 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 your podcast. But I, I truly believe it, that economic development is a team sport, and I know that sounds cliche, but it really is. Uh, and that's that's one of the things that I'm trying to do here in Brazoria County, and 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 we're doing very well at it, but. Everybody has to play uh, uh, from the same uh, playbook. We all, you all have to push from the uh, in the same direction. 
your goals need to be clear and focused so that everybody understands what the end result needs to be that you're going after. And uh, everybody just needs to make sure that they're all working towards the same end. So cooperation is, is really, really key. Even among com com competing communities, uh, here in Brazoria County, you know, while every community in and of itself is, is competing, if you will, for the same lead that may, may be generated, they also know that if their community gets knocked off the list, they realize that it's in their best interest to still do whatever they can do to help sell Brazoria County because chances are somebody that if the company lands in Brazoria County, somebody that lives in their town is most may uh, end up with a job in that in that with that company that may end up in the neighboring community. So that cooperation is is extremely critical in order for economic development to be successful, especially on a regional basis. Yeah, I agree. Regionalism is huge and a huge resource. Next question. Are there any economic development resources that you would recommend to the audience? I guess the, the three pieces of, of advice I would give uh, for informational wise is, is one, get involved in your uh, in whatever it is your state economic development organization is so that you have a perspective as to what's going on in the rest of rest of your state uh, the worst thing you can do in, as an economic development professional is to live in a bubble uh, and then building on that, uh, I would highly suggest, uh, not, not to sound like a commercial, but get involved in, in, the, in the national economic development organizations. IEDC is a perfect one to get involved with, to get a picture of what's going on from a global standpoint. Uh, and then uh, lastly, uh, keep in tune, keep in touch with, with, with your local uh, organizations. Keep in touch with your chambers of commerces. With your with your county government, with your tourism uh, organizations, make sure you know you know what the what the uh, the tourism numbers are for your community. Those are all types of things that you can use to package together when you're trying to sell your community to a company. Why it's important that they uh, move, you know, choose your your uh, your location. And lastly, what is your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby is uh, I, I, it's a toss-up um, between uh, traveling. Uh, uh, love to travel, uh, even even just on little weekend road trips. Uh, girlfriend and I'll pack up and 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 you know uh, make a quick trip to New Orleans or a quick trip down to one of the coastal communities and spend a Friday, Saturday, and come home on a Sunday. Uh, and then uh, the other would be uh, uh, would be cooking. Uh, I love to cook, and uh, so I'm always up for uh, uh, trying out a new recipe uh, and seeing if I can, you know, make it make it edible. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Both wonderful hobbies. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate the opportunity. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.